Hello, and welcome to another audio version of Burnt Toast. This is a newsletter where we explore questions and sometimes answers on fat phobia, diet culture, parenting, and health. I am Virginia Soul Smith. I'm a journalist who covers weight stigma and diet culture and the author of The Eating Instinct and the forthcoming Fat Kid Phobia. And I am so thrilled today to be chatting with Aubrey Gordon, who really needs no introduction, but I'll introduce her anyway, Um, (laughs) author of What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, she is your fat friend everywhere on social media and the co-host of the very beloved Maintenance Phase podcast. Aubrey, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a delight to talk to you, as always. I am very, very delighted, and I know my yeah. readers are going to be so delighted. Um, so I am bringing you on today to talk with us about the concept of thin privilege, because this is a concept that I find is very hard for folks to wrap their brains around. <laughs> um, you know, it's... It, inspires when I talk about it on social media, inspires a lot of angry comments sometimes, um, a lot of defensiveness, a lot of feelings come up around this concept. So, you know, I'm hoping we can kind of unpack it and also mm-hmm. in particular, think about what parents need to think about in terms of explaining what thin privilege is to our kids. Cause you know, mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is people haven't heard of it till they're grown up and it kind of comes out of nowhere at them, even though they should be more aware. So yeah. Let's start with the basics. Um, what is thin privilege? Give us a definition. Uh, yeah, so I would say um, thin privilege or like another way of thinking and talking about it is how folks benefit from a proximity to thinness. So whether or not you feel like you yourself qualify, quote unquote, as like being really thin, quote unquote, like the closer you are to looking thin, the more thin privilege you get. Congratulations. Um, and that includes like many fat people, right? Like I actually have more thin privilege at about 350 pounds than someone who's fatter than me does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that the sort of closer that you get to thinness, the more you don't actually have to think about your body and your size in terms of how other people relate to it and treat it, right? You may think about it quite a bit internally, but most of your struggles with your body relate to internal challenges and not to institutions rejecting you or individuals treating you differently, right? Um, uh, someone with more thin privilege than me might not have to worry about uh, strangers on the street shouting like, hey, fatso at them. Mm-hmm. Or they might not have to worry about whether or not a doctor will agree to treat them. Or they might not have to worry about if they get on a plane, will they be allowed to stay on that plane or will they be escorted off the plane without a refund and without recourse and all of that kind of stuff. Um, It doesn't mean that folks in smaller bodies don't have uh, challenges to work through with relationship to body image. Um, I think it's really important to note that thin privilege is about how other people treat you, not how you feel about your own body, right? So you can still have profound body image struggles, but that doesn't actually change how other people treat you. Even with body dysmorphia, even with eating disorders, even with whatever you're working with, (laughs) right? Um, Other people still perceive you as a thinner person and treat you as a thinner person, regardless of how you perceive yourself. So that that's what I would say. What did I miss? I feel like I missed something. No, I think you hit on a lot of key points there. I think that distinction between like your own emotions about your body versus how the world perceives your body is that crucial Mm. distinction. And that's Mm. what makes it hard for folks who feel like, but I'm miserable in my body. So how can I have thin privilege? But it's all the things you just said. It's that you can move through the world very freely, even though you might be tormented in some way by your body for yourself. 
Totally. And I would also say it's like um, it can be uh, uh, upsetting and call up defensiveness um, in the same way that talking about any kind of privilege can, right? Mm -hmm. That like, uh, as uh, someone who has grown up white and middle class and remains white and middle class, <laughs> right? Um, uh, I have been told consistently throughout my life that my accomplishments are my own. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't really had to look at the ways in which the wind is at my back, right? right. Um, and the ways in which structures are built to support me specifically as a white person and a middle class person, right? Um, and I think this is a similar thing. It doesn't mean that you're less accomplished. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with your body image. It doesn't mean that anything inherent about you has changed. It just means becoming more aware of the ways in which the world receives your body. Yeah, um, and works for your body. Folks. Yeah, and works for your body. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I was reading, you know, a link in the show notes to all the many fantastic articles you've written on thin privilege and a statistic that really jumped out at me from one of them. Um, you noted that just under 50% of American adults tried to lose weight between 2013 and 2016, according to the mm -hmm. CDC. And you wrote, notably, white people and people with higher incomes were the most likely to be engaged in weight loss efforts, meaning mm -hmm. that those of us with particularly pronounced privileges were most likely to be engaged in activities to try to reduce our size. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, you know, is thin privilege something that already privileged people are sort of actively seeking out? Uh, absolutely. And I think part of that, to my mind, there's less research on this. This is all just me spitballing. Hey, team. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, there's coughing for, yeah, enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say, uh, I, to my mind, that is tied to the very explicit history of racism broadly and anti-blackness in particular that is tied to sort of how we think and talk about fatness and fat people, right? Um, it's also tied to our relationship between class and, uh, and fatness, right? That when we think about who we think of when we think of fat people, um, overwhelmingly, we are sort of met with these media caricatures of fat people as being um, poorer than thin people. We are met with caricatures of um, fat black folks, pr particularly as being sort of like the most abrasive of fat people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and most sort of like weirdly domineering or um, least intelligent or whatever. It sort of um, supercharges any of our existing sort of associations with um, uh, with a community, right? Um, so I would say, uh, yes, it's something that we seek and it's something that we seek to uh, in order to escape the ways that we actually do see fat people being treated. Right. Frankly, like significantly worse than thin people. So the hard thing is folks will feel um, defensive of and disconnected from a sense of their own privilege, while at the same time, on some level, kind of consciously kind of cashing in on it or trying to figure out how to gain more of that privilege, yes. right? Yes. No, it's so interesting. Um, I was talking to Deb Burgard about this a few years ago, and mm. she said, you know, um, like a lot of the whole body positivity movement is fat women, like small fat women trying mm. to get their white privilege back, like trying mm -hmm. to sort of like shore up that, you know, like kind of move themselves back up the ladder in a way if they feel like thin privilege is, you know, there's that loss of privilege. And it is this intersection of all of this is fascinating. And it 
it is uncomfortable. It is hard to look at in sort of your own, as you said, like kind of look closely at the ways in which you've benefited from these systems. Um, that's super. Important. I also just think like the hard thing about sort of bodies and body size is that we do sort of live and operate in a culture that makes absolutely all of us feel like garbage <laughs> about our bodies, right? So like 100% of people, uh, it's sort of like uh, set up so that all of us feel bad. And part of the challenge is that we conflate how we feel about our bodies and how we've been made to feel about our bodies with uh, how much privilege comes with being in that body. And those are two, we got to do a better job of disentangling those things and which will allow us to actually honor both of them more and dig in on both of them. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes so much sense. So let's talk about thin privilege with kids. I mean, I see this coming up in a couple a couple of different ways. You know, one example that I talked about recently on social media was a friend of mine was shopping for softball pants for her daughter to play softball, you know, on the little eight-year-old softball team. Mm. And her daughter's body is too big for softball pants. So she can't wear mm. the same uniform that her peers are wearing. And like awful. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, <laughs> listeners cannot see my face, but that's like a sad bummer face. Yeah. And it, you know, and it just made me think like, oh my gosh, I was a thin kid. I never had to think about whether the uniform would fit me. You know, mm-hmm. that's like, and then that's becomes a barrier to participation, right? I mean, if you're the kid wearing sweatpants when everyone else is wearing the cute uniform, not that softball uniforms are that cute, but whatever, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you don't feel like you can play the, the, the sport in the same way. Right. So yeah. that was one example I thought of that, you know, that the thin kids are just not even having to think about like, can I show up for this team and fit in, mm-hmm. literally fit in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what other ways do you see it show up for kids? Oh, I think a big one is the built environment. Mm-hmm. So like uh for sure for me in middle school and high school in particular, those desks with a chair attached, yeah. right, were like a real special kind of hell. Yeah. Um, because in some like in all cases, I didn't fit in the chair with the desk attached, right? I couldn't flip the desk down. I would mm-hmm. just have to sort of like sit in the chair with the desk flapped up, which was also like a little flag waving to be like, hi, everybody. I'm the fat kid. Hello. <laughs> Look over here. Um, and then and, how did you the, like, do your work? Like, I'm sorry, that's such a basic question. No, 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 no. I just put would, your notebook. Yeah. I mean, I would just try and write on my knee and my notes were kind of garbage. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just, it made things... Um, not like nothing insurmountable, but it was like more unpleasant and more difficult. And there were more things to navigate there than there should have been. Right. Um, I would say in the worst case scenarios, I didn't fit into the chair or the desk, right. Either one. Um, that was really hard. Um, I think, uh, often on that same note, um, it is rare that schools or teachers are, um, outfitting schools and the same can be true of parents at friends houses um with furniture sort of knowing the weight capacity and knowing Mm -hmm. what it can fit and what it can't and that sort of thing so I ended up opting out of a lot of um both playdates with friends but also like you know physical games like I remember going to laser tag so like hello welcome to my childhood in the 90s (laughs) laser tag the coolest thing you could do laser tag yep yeah 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 (laughs) Um, and there was a point at which I stopped going because I was like, I don't actually think the laser tag vest thing is going to fit me anymore. So I like stopped going to friends birthday parties, right? There is sort of a social isolation element that Mm -hmm. comes with all of this stuff. And I think, uh, you know, it never would have occurred to me at the time. Um, but boy, oh boy, like just a thimble full of awareness from anybody's parents could have gone 
just miles and miles and miles yeah. um, for, for that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. So what, what, what should that look like? You know, I mean, my readers, a lot of them are parents. Um, some of them are parents of fat kids. A lot of them are parents of, you know, thinner kids or kids with mm-hmm. degrees of thin privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we talk to our kids about this concept and how do we, you know, try to be more mindful of, you know, exactly what you're saying, like thinking through the logistics of the birthday party, thinking through the logistics of the sports team or, you know, whatever it is to make environments more inclusive for kids. Yeah, I mean, I would say, so I come to this conversation not as a parent, but as a very proud and engaged aunt. So like, you know, grain of salt, grain of salt from a guy who's not uh, taking care of kids around the clock. Um, But I do think um, that uh, talking to your kids about like, do you think everybody can do this? Do you think everybody would be comfortable doing this? You know, like, who do you want to have there? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not sure if this kid could do that, Mm -hmm. you know? which I think works around size. I think it works around disability. I think it works around a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think like uh, I have, uh, as you can imagine, been very open with my niece and nephew both um, about like what I do and what I write about and why mm-hmm. it matters and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And I think the thing that has surprised me about that, I felt nervous about it because it feels sort of quote unquote controversial or high stakes or something to talk to kids about body stuff. Mm-hmm. And as with anything else, as with talking to kids about trans issues, as with talking to kids about race, as with talking to kids about disability, about just about any sort of social issue, they are totally down, <laughs> right? They have been totally down. And not only that, but it has opened up this vein of conversation that I don't think I would have had with them about like my niece, who's now 14, will come to me and be like, my friend is actually constantly telling me how fat she feels and I'm actually fatter than her. So it feels really bad to me, but I don't want to take away how she's feeling, but also she calls her little brother fat as an insult. And like, so we like have these pretty rich conversations to kind of unpack, like, what do you do with all of those competing things? Yes. Right. Um, So it does feel like um, this is one of those cases where as adults, I, I think it's easy to let our imaginations kind of run wild with like how hard and complicated it's going to be. And truly, when you just sit down with a kid and you're like, listen, man, sometimes people are fatter than other people. <laughs> and sometimes some people are mean to people who are fatter than other people or think that they don't deserve the same things. And we got to make sure, you know, for folks who aren't looking out for fat people, we're going to do a little looking out for fat people. Yeah. What do you say? You know, like, that's pretty much it. And I don't actually know a kid who isn't moved to, like, be a helper, right? right. Who isn't moved right. to, like, want to assist and want to make things better for other people. Um, so I think just tapping into that goes a long, long way. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's very similar to how you know, we have research that shows that when white parents don't talk about race with white kids, we raise racists. And, you know, it's like, it feels hard and scary to like first buy your copy of anti-racist baby or whatever you're doing to start those conversations. And then your kids are so matter of fact about it that it's suddenly like, oh, this is very clear. And, you know, I found that talking to my own kids about body size, you know, they, um, they can use the word fat in this very sort of unaffected neutral way that is Mm. so beautiful to me as someone who had to like go through the process of reclaiming and you know it's like oh this won't be something you have to reclaim this will just be a word for you oh yeah 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 (laughs) and I would imagine I mean you tell me I think I feel like the conversations that I have with folks who are parents is a lot parents who are not fat raising kids who are not fat right um 
is that they're really nervous that they're going to have like the thin kid who's just like calling everybody fat. Yes. Um, (laughs) All the time. Yeah. Constantly. And I think the way that I've handled that again, as a non-parent with my niece and nephew is to just be like, Hey, this is a totally neutral word. Some people get their feelings hurt by it. So check Mm -hmm. in with people Mm -hmm. about what words they're okay with. And then if they're okay with it, you can use it. It's fine. Yeah. Just like creating even just like a sliver of daylight between what the word itself means and how people experience that word can help kids kind of like navigate a little bit, right? Like we do this all the time with like, uh, you know, words related to uh, your private parts or words related to really, there are lots and lots of times that we're sort of teaching kids about when and whether words are appropriate. And this is another one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think you can talk about bodies in a really positive slash, you know, just normal way. And also teach your kids that like, we don't talk about the bodies of other people, just like we don't touch the bodies of other people without their permission. Like yeah, there's a consent thing, you know, where like you can explain to, I mean, it'll probably happen after your five-year-old yells it out in the grocery store, but then that's a great opportunity to say, Hey, you know, we don't actually yell out people's physical characteristics in public because, you know, you just don't know how that's going to land, but it doesn't mean that their bodies are bad. It just means that, we respect that people's bodies belong to them and it's up to them to talk about them if they want or not, you know? Totally. I mean, I think like a totally neutral parallel is like, you don't show up at a party unless you get an invitation to that party. Right? Like, it's like, it doesn't have to be like loaded and heavy and right. hard, That's right? Yeah. That's just like, there's all kinds of stuff. You don't take a book from the library if you haven't checked it out and made sure it's available, right? Like there are lots and lots and lots of ways that we like check on something first before we... Yeah. Go ahead and do it. I love it. I love it. That's, those are great examples. Um, so then steering away from kids for a little bit. Um, yeah. you talk a lot about, as we've said, the sort of fat people having these different levels of thin privilege mm. and why it's so important to articulate the difference between, you know, what me as a size 16 experiences versus what you experience and, you mm-hmm. know, these different levels. Um, and, you know, in general, I feel like that's something that the sort of body positive space, health at every spies space. Like we haven't always been great at doing that. And in fact, yeah. you know, the small fat ladies like myself have done a lot of damage on that front. <laughs> um, and we have some, you know, some karma to work off. <laughs> um, so I have a question from a reader that in reading again, I realize it's actually a little bit more about health privilege than thin mm-hmm. privilege, but great. I think Let's it's very, it. very related. So I would love to get your take on this. So she says, um, I may be a bit older than your typical demographic. I'm 55 years old, but one topic I haven't seen discussed when people talk about fat phobia, I'd like there to be more conversation about fat people who do have chronic health issues Mm. that medical professionals insist are brought on by how we eat or how we move, particularly Mm. diabetes, which is the dirty word of our culture right now. Mm. Um, And so many people dealing with this health issue are given poorer care because of the fat phobia of their doctors. Um, having this disease is like an open invitation to be judged and demeaned. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and then she says, you know, the discourse stressing that it's possible and even likely to be perfectly healthy and be fat while true leaves out those of us who aren't quote perfect or quote healthy in this Mm -hmm. paradigm. Um, so, and she says, this is more of a screed than a question, but I haven't seen it doesn't really end on a question, but I thought that was a really important thing to sort of bring out in the context of this conversation. Um, yeah, a lot to unpack. So there's so much 
to unpack. And this is a thing that I'm like, I'm so deeply glad that this person wrote in about this because this is a thing that I feel extremely passionately about, right? That like when we're trying to defend ourselves against anti-fat bias and anti-fat sort of attitudes and behaviors, um, the thing that is most tempting and easiest to do is to grab on to the closest other privilege <laughs> that we have, right? And go, well, you don't have to be like, uh, you know, I might be fat, but I eat really healthy and I shop at the farmer's market, or I might be fat, but I work out all the time and I have a gym membership, or I might be fat, but I'm perfectly healthy. And my blood work is probably better than yours. Mm -hmm. Right. All of which makes sense as a desire to defend ourselves. I think there are a couple of things to unpack here. When we do that, what we're doing is either implying indirectly or stating directly that fat people who are disabled and chronically ill are not deserving of the same things that we're deserving of. So just like point blank, that's not necessarily our intention when we say those things, but that is the function is that it sends a really clear exclusionary message in the same way that when thin women tell me that body positivity is only for people who are happy and healthy, which is sort of code for like not fat, right? (laughs) So like not you, everyone else can feel okay about their bodies, but not you, right? Is sort of what we're doing when we say that we're perfectly healthy and we're reinforcing the idea that our perception of someone else's health is acceptable, like data to use in deciding how to treat that person. And it is, I would argue, categorically not. I mean, what we know about diabetes is that it is, um, uh, Well, I should start out by saying what we don't know about diabetes is almost everything. So like, just to be real clear, everybody everywhere is walking around out in the world like, oh, you just have to not eat sugar and not get fat and you won't be diabetic. Currently, the research is reckoning with, um, do you get fat because you're diabetic Mm -hmm. or are you diabetic because you're fat? And Mm -hmm. there's some data showing that uh, your body might actually hang on to fat as it becomes insulin resistant, Interesting. pre-diabetic and diabetic, right? So we might actually be thinking of it in a completely backwards way. Right, right, right. Um, we also know that it's deeply linked to minority stress, um, mm-hmm. which is sort of like the stress of experiencing discrimination. Mm-hmm. So all of that sort of um, judgment about being diabetic or maybe becoming diabetic um, is deeply rooted in ableism. It's deeply rooted in these kinds of misconceptions. Um And uh, it's frankly, again, like starting to sort of dive into that research now, I'm realizing the degree to which that is all categorically false. We are all walking around with this weird false sense of superiority, like we've all outsmarted diabetes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And people who are diabetologists, uh, people who have diabetes, sort of anyone who's been forced to take that deep dive knows that that is like not actually right the case. We think of it as an earned fate, right? And we talk about it as something that, um, you know, uh, fat folks should have thought about. Right, right, right. Before they got fat and stayed fat. It all ties back to that, this belief that we just have to dismantle that fat is a behavior, right? (laughs) That Mm -hmm. this is all a choice, that it's all an option that you checked off on some list of like, yes, I will take fat and I will take diabetes and I will take all of the behaviors that people think lead to these things and completely ignoring you know, how much most of this is not something anyone's controlling um, or, you know, picking or doing in any conscious way. And yeah, attaching moral virtue to things that have to do with your genetic and socioeconomic and other lotteries of life um, really just doesn't make sense. Totally. And I would say like 
There's a degree to which, so there's a sociologist named Robert Crawford who coined this term in the 1980s called healthism, Mm -hmm. um, which is about the ways in which uh, we sort of beyond just caring for our own health, that we sort of seek out these signifiers that we are people who are seeking health, that we try and perform that for people around them. So I would say we are in a real boom time of healthism, right? We really are. That like people are Instagramming their celery juice. They're wearing athleisure clothes everywhere. People are going to workouts. Yeah, totally. People are (laughs) opting for things like Peloton and Equinox, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of all of these kind of CNBC things mm-hmm. um, that are very class coded, right? Yes. That are not just a way of saying I'm healthy, but they're a way of saying I'm healthy and I have disposable income, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, uh, so I think it's also worth thinking about like, um, again, if we're sort of looking at creating slivers of daylight between things, creating a sliver of daylight between what is your actual current health status and what are the things that you are either judging other people on or seeking to be judged on in a particular way, positive mm-hmm. or negative, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that feels really important for all of us, regardless of size and regardless yes. of ability to do some unpacking of. Yes, yes. Oh, that's really smart. And that kind of leads to my last question, which is mm. um, another reader wrote, wrote in and basically is saying, you know, what do I do as a thin person to be an ally in all of this? And, Mm. you know, and I think when we're talking about thin privilege, that's an important piece of it. And she even says, you know, when I talk to my friends in bigger bodies, do I acknowledge my privilege or is that unnecessary? You know, is it helpful for me to talk about my own, you know, body image struggles Mm. in public? Or is that insensitive? Mm. This question's also come up, you know, people who want to post about like some workout achievement, you know, but the performative aspect of that makes it really icky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on some of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm also curious to hear yours Okay. <laughs> on the same question. Cause I'm like, it's like, there's, it's a big and expansive one, right? Yeah. Definitely. Um, things that I would say, uh, in sort of talking to friends and folks that you have close social relationships with, ask them how they want to talk about it mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. do those things. Mm-hmm. Ask them what kind of support that they want and need and do yeah. those things. Right. Yeah. There are some folks who you can say, you know, if they say, God, I'm getting ready for a doctor's appointment and I feel really nervous about it. You can say, what makes you feel nervous? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to go with you? Do you want mm-hmm. moral support? Should we check in afterwards and like get cocktails so you can decompress? <laughs> Do you want to, you know, like what would be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to already know what the right thing is and to know how to sort of almost read somebody else's mind. And yeah. I think there is enough difference in experience and desire here to just be able to say, what you know, like what's helpful here? What are the words that you use to describe your body? What are the words you'd like me to use? Yeah. Do you want to talk about this stuff? Do you never want to talk about this stuff? You mm-hmm. tell me, right? I think actually just opening up that conversation with folks is a really great starting point. Um, the other thing that I would say, as someone who just, um, I'm in my office right now, Virginia can see it. There is a, a guest bed behind me. Hello. <laughs> we just replaced the bed frame and I found one uh, I made uh, weight capacity, a uh, priority for it. It's our guest bed. Um, and, uh, found a really inexpensive bed frame that is rated for up to a thousand pounds. So now I know whoever comes to see us, they can <laughs> stay in our guest bed and I can confidently say, yes, it's fine. We're good. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I also think thinking about stuff like that, mm-hmm. that's like when you're in the market for chairs or mm-hmm. for a bed or whatever, like being mindful of like, does this chair have arms? How close together are they? Could somebody yes. fit into these? Yes. Um, what's the weight capacity? Do I know who it's built to fit? That kind of thing. It will make it harder. Yeah. Um, but it'll make it harder in a way that it's already hard for fat people. But it's okay if <laughs> it's a I mean? little hard like, for you too. Yeah. Come on down. Come on Clothing down. is my other one on this. You know, I uh, do think yeah. something great that thin folks can do is support brands that are somewhat inclusive. I mean, it's mm. like impossible to support brands that are fully inclusive because they don't exist, but you know, like to whatever extent that's possible. And, you know, I had a really unpleasant interaction yesterday with someone, a small fat woman who was asking for, oh, where should I look for summer dresses? And I suggested some plus size brands and she was really Mm. offended. And she was like, I mean, I'm not that big. I don't need that. And I was like, oh, 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 I can't talk to you anymore. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. I was just like putting up a boundary. We're done. Okay. You know, like, no, you can shop. You can be at the smaller end of a clothing line just as much as you are otherwise at the upper end of a clothing line. Like what? Why is that somehow a problem for you? It's, yeah. Right. I mean, I think this actually like gets us right back to thin privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that is someone who in that moment was like, you are aligning me with fat people. Right. I know how people think about and treat fat people. I will I be over here it. with thin people. Yes. Thank you. How Even dare though you? I'm barely fitting into the thin right, right, right. that I'm going to, and I'm complaining because I don't have good options, <laughs> but I'm going to be over here, you know, cramming into that size 14 or whatever, um, feeling yeah, like that's sure. the right choice. So, yeah. So I think looking for ways to support that. Um, and then on the language stuff, like the talking about personal mm. experiences, I, I do think there's an argument for people not performing workouts on social media, um, you know, certainly not performing weight loss on social media because you just don't know who that's going to be triggering for, Um, you know, and if you're, and at least if you're talking about your struggles, maybe don't talk about it in the, like, I feel fat way, right? Because that's just immediately saying, I don't want your body. I don't want this bigger, you know, and that's really harmful to people. I also think, Asking for consent about that stuff too. Mm, like I'm having a bad body image day. Are you up for talking about it? I love that. Like just getting folks consent, both for fat folks, for people with eating disorders, Mm -hmm. for like all manner of folks. That Mm -hmm. is a helpful thing. And doing that in a way that's like, uh, that checks yourself in the process, not just for the person that you're talking to, but also for your own perception Mm -hmm. of going like, I'm having a really hard time finding clothes that fit. And I know people who wear larger sizes than I do. And I can't imagine what it's like for them. This is so frustrating, right? right? So that at least you are in the process acknowledging the experience of uh, either the person that you're talking to or fat people more broadly, right? It sort of broadens out the conversation, even if you're talking to another thin person, honestly, yes. Yes. Um, to like kind of uh, reintroduce the awareness that, you know, you ideally have, but maybe don't carry with you into those conversations. Yes. Um, feels like another important way of doing it. I will say there are um, on a personal level, few things more frustrating to me than a thin person there's sort of this dynamic that happens where a thin person will see me, a thin person who feels badly about their own body and will go, look how fat she is. She must feel terrible. I got to tell her all of my insecurities, right? Mm -hmm. Or all of my bad feelings about my body, which then translates to me as, 
okay, this person hates their body and they must be absolutely repulsed by mine, right? Like, so then it's just like, oh, great. Now everyone feels terrible. What did we accomplish here? Everyone feels worse? Cool. <laughs> what a productive conversation this has been. And no, how- thanks. Totally. <laughs> Not at totally. all deepening to our friendship. Yes. No, I mean, I- the other thing that I would say on the sort of body image front, and I'll I'll try and keep this short, um, which I'm not great at, (laughs) Um, is um, that there's actually quite a bit of research as well into negative body talk. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we talk about our own bodies in a negative way, when we talk about other people's bodies in a negative way, um, we think of that as being a thing that like expels um, and gets mm-hmm. rid of and mm-hmm. vents a lot of that. So we and don't have to carry it around to other people. Yeah. And bonds us to other people. And the research actually shows the exact opposite, right? That it worsens our own mental state. It weakens our relationships. It leads to less sexual satisfaction. It leads to weaker friendships. It leads to all of these things just when we talk about it, not how we feel to begin with, but when we give it more airtime, it sort of expands to fit the space that we give it. And it doesn't only impact us when we talk about it. It impacts anyone within earshot experiences those negative outcomes. So I think it's also worth thinking about this as almost like, um, like a pollutant, right? <laughs> like what's that. the pollutant that you're putting into the environment? Is it in a well-ventilated area? Does everybody know that it's being polluted, right? Like how do you want to, like, how do you want to go about this? Yeah. So I also just think this is another one of those sort of like the diabetes stuff where we are pretty sure we know how this works. And the research shows us that it is in fact, you know, maybe the opposite. Right, right, right. And <laughs> in fact, how we think about it. That thing you thought was so helpful is making everything worse. Um, yeah, for for yeah. you and for people that you care about, yeah. right? And yeah, and I mean, to bring hard. it back to parenting, that's why, you know, the number one advice I give parents is like, please do not narrate your own body stuff to your kids. Like, you know, passing that, you are directly passing that baggage on to them at that point, so. Absolutely, and I think it's important for <clears throat> parents to note, there's been a teeny tiny bit of research on this. You probably know it, frankly, better than I do at this point, that um, it is actually just as powerful a negative force for kids um, to uh, hear their parents talk negatively about their own bodies mm-hmm. as it is to hear their parents talk negatively about their bodies, yes, the yes. kids' bodies. Yeah. So I think it's also just worth noting, you know, your kid is not distinguishing necessarily what this research seems to indicate is that your kid isn't necessarily distinguishing between uh, when you say that they are too fat versus mm-hmm. when you say that you are too fat or when you say that their thighs are hideous or when you say that your thighs are hideous, whatever the things are, right. Yeah. Um, that those have the same impact. And that's like really tough to hear. It was really tough for me to learn because <laughs> it feels so hard to be yeah. like, people are honestly struggling. Yeah, no, it's true. The but, impacts are still tough. But on the flip side, there is also a nice study that showed that when parents who were struggling stopped talking, the kids mm. did better. Like it is protective. Totally, totally. So it's nice to know there's something you can do and that you can yeah, find yeah. a therapist or somebody else with whom you can have that conversation and you're child is not that person in your life and that's totally or a friend who consents or what like whatever the framework needs to be just like a consensual relationship that is about that thing totally take it there it doesn't mean you have to never talk about it it just means being more mindful about when and whether and with who yes absolutely well Aubrey I could talk to you all day about this but I know you have an appointment to get to so we will wrap up but thank you so much for doing this and um, just let my listeners know where they can find more of you 
Yeah. Um, so uh, you can listen to our podcast, Maintenance Phase, where we debunk a bunch of garbage diets. It's very fun. If there's any one of my subscribers not already listening to Maintenance Phase, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Um, I'm sure everybody <laughs> is obsessed with it. Um, Michael Hobbs tasting celery juice is something I will think about for the rest of my life and laugh. <laughs> I just... We recorded that episode and I was like, this one isn't very good. And Mike was like, yeah, it's going to be whatever. And then it came out and we were like, oh, it's good. People like it. Got it. <laughs> he said it tastes like my running pants. <laughs> it really, it really and tastes. it really does. Awful. Have you tried it? It's awful. I don't oh. need to try it. Yeah, I worked right. in women's yeah. magazines for 20 years. I've tasted any of the plenty of that you know. bullshit. Yep. You know. Um, I also wrote a book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, which you can pick up anywhere you buy a book. Um, and I'm at your fat friend, why are a fat friend on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. Thank you so much, Aubrey. Thank you for having me. This is a treat.